0: Hi, friends. Happy Wednesday to you. I am three days late of when I try to get this weekly podcast out to you. And I guess let's just say better late than never. If you know me, um, (laughs) you are going to say, well, I mean, such as Melody, that is life. She, I'm always late. And so if you, if you are a dear friend of mine, you tease me about it and that's just fine. So three days late is what you're going to count me as today. So anyway, I cannot wait to talk more with you about this Feast of First Fruits. I have learned so much in the last several weeks, just really diving in, rolling up my sleeves and just really praying for the spirit to discern and rightly divide God's word in my life. Won't you join me? Come on in. Let's see what God has in store for his girls today. Well, hi there, friends. Thanks for coming in and joining me as we open up God's Word and dive right in and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and to unveil our eyes and to expectantly meet Him in His Word where He rightly divides truth from the lies of the enemy and the lies of our culture and the world around us. And so today, I want to continue to look through Scripture with you at the the unbelievable, um, just what God has done for us in this, His Son, Jesus of Nazareth. um, And where I want to start with us today, to rightly divide the word and to look at some some hard things. Oh my goodness. It is, it is hard to look at traditions and at, you know, the ways that we have been raised growing up. Now you might be a mama like myself raising children. You might be a young lady who um, finds herself in a family who goes to church um, often, um, if not even religiously, (laughs) I use that term loosely, not that we are, um, you're going because you want to be there. And so you make every effort to be there when the doors are open, because that is where you long to be, you yearn to be in that family of Christ. And I hope that that's the case for you. It certainly was the case for myself and my sisters growing up. Um, It just was never a question in our mind of where we were going to be on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday nights, because the church was open and we were there and there was not another place where we would want to be other than with our family of believers. And so I hope that you have found that for yourself. And so that is why it's so hard to look at this topic of Easter and Resurrection Sunday and to continue on that conversation today just so that we know for a fact that Jesus is the final authority in our life and we are rightly worshiping him, this holy and mighty and powerful and awesome God. And so let's turn to Mark 16, verse 1. Sorry if you heard that. It totally startled me, the little honk. <laughs> we're actually in the car, my four-year-old who's taking a little siesta in our car seat. Um, she fell asleep as we were dropping off the boys to the golf course for their for their golf practice today. So anyway, back to Mark 16, verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, that's really important, so hang on to that. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early, on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." Now, after he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went out and told those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After this, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Later, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were sitting at the table, and he upbraided them for their lack of faith and stubbornness, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the good news to the whole creation. The one who believes and is baptized will be saved, but the one who does not believe will be condemned and these signs will accompany those who believe by using my name they will cast out demons they will speak in new tongues they will pick up snakes in their hands and if they drink any deadly thing it will not hurt them they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and proclaimed the good news everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that accompanied it. Isn't that amazing? Our Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, come back to life as our first fruits, fulfilling that foreshadowing that God had instilled in the offering of first fruits, the festival that he told the Israelites through Moses to establish and keep. And so let's jump to Leviticus 23, verse 9. Leviticus 23 verse 9, and we're going to look at this establishment of that first fruits feast. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you enter the land that I am giving you, that is the promised land, and you reap its harvest You shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall raise the sheaf before the Lord that you may find acceptance. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall raise it. Okay, pause right there. Do you remember how I told you to mark that? Make a mental note of what it first said at the account of the resurrection. It says, on verse 1, chapter 16, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Sol- Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. The Sabbath was over. It was the day after, and they were there at the tomb to witness Jesus becoming the first fruits, the first risen from the dead. Okay, back to Leviticus 23, verse 12. On the day when you raise the sheaf, you shall offer a lamb a year old without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord, and the grain offering with it shall be two-tenths of an ephah of choice flour mixed with oil, an offering by fire of pleasing odor to the Lord, and the drink offering with it shall be of wine one-fourth of a hen. You shall eat no bread or parched grain or fresh ears until that very Day until you have brought the offering of your God. It is a statute forever throughout your generations in all your settlements. I think this is so cool that I don't know about you. When God says forever, I can take it to the bank. You can too. That He means forever throughout your generations in all your settlements. What I am learning through studying. Our heritage, which is of Jewish descent, right? Jesus was a Jew. He practiced all of these festivals when he walked the earth. He himself, as God, commanded us to keep these seven festivals. This one is one of three that he lays out and says, keep this statute." Forever. The other two are the Day of Atonement, the second of the three last festivals, as well as the Festival of Booths or Tabernacles. He says to keep that statute forever throughout your generations. And so this is our heritage. This is what God laid out for us to see as a mirror, a reflection of what He. Was going to do what he has done, and from our point looking forward, what he will accomplish on the last three festivals that are still yet to be fulfilled, that will be fulfilled on Christ's second coming. It is amazing, amazing. And so, when we miss that Jesus died on the Sunday, following the passover and the feast of unleavened bread and he was the first fruits offered up to god and as a thanksgiving to all that he has done for us to cleanse us from our sins to cleanse the world of sin to make the um to make atonement for the earth being fallen from the sin. Um, Because as you know, if you look back in Genesis, what did God command Adam to do to tend the garden? And I love this, that if you read the account that we read about Mary and Jesus coming to her, and she she doesn't recognize Jesus, she recognizes him as a gardener. In this garden where the tomb was, where the body was laid to rest, and then not there. The stone was rolled away. So, what does this mean for you and me today? What does this mean? Well, I believe that it means that we need to spend some time um, asking the Holy Spirit to divide rightly in our heart what is of man and of tradition that does not worship the Lord Jesus as we look at his resurrection and we rightly discern what we should worship as truth and what we should set aside as false and as a lie. And that is what Eve and Adam were not able to do in the garden. And thankfully, we have... The helper. We have the Holy Spirit that helps us to rightly discern the lie from the truth. I would like to read to you from this article that originally appeared um, and was written by Zola Levitt in 1979. And I I just would like to ponder this with you to set aside the traditions of man and just ponder what God has done for us on that Resurrection Sunday and the reflection that he gave to us in Leviticus 23 and the Feast of First Fruits and what that means to us. So um, it is a little lengthy, but hang with me, will you? And it reads, Zola writes, in Leviticus 23, the God of Israel gave a marvelous and profound prophetic system by choosing seemingly arbitrarily seven holy feasts to be held each year by the chosen people. God imparted this important information to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he dutifully delivered it to Israel in the wilderness. From that moment on, the tabernacle was constructed, and the feast observed exactly according to the instructions of the Lord by the true believers. It is the third feast, First Fruits, with which we are concerned in this newsletter, The church continues to celebrate first fruits in its New Testament essence as Resurrection Sunday or Easter. But we do not realize its full impact nor its glorious promise for the future unless we understand its original form directly from God's instruction. The church appreciates Passover in that the Lord Jesus cited this feast himself as a holy convocation. We take the bread and the wine of Passover as communion according to what happened on that Passover of crucifixion in the New Testament record. We correctly do this in remembrance of me, remembering our deliverance from bondage by the blood of the Lamb, as also Israel was delivered from Egypt in the Exodus as a foreshadowing. The second feast, unleavened bread, demonstrates a holy walk. And on the fifteenth day of the same month as the feast of unleavened bread unto the Lord, seven days you must eat unleavened bread. Leviticus three six, Leaven in the Bible is sin, and the God of Israel asked for a week of eating sinless bread. As we walk in Christ, the bread of life, we demonstrate a continuous keeping of this fe- of this feast, which is exactly our instruction from the apostle Paul in First Corinthians five eight. He says, therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, but with first fruits. We seem to have confused an ancient pagan fertility rite with the original directions. Today, we have an entangling of a Babylonian festival with a biblical holy convocation. And I'm going to stop right here and just say, this is, um, it's frightening to me, this entanglement. When you open up revelation and you do a deep dive study into what is to come what god has forewarned his people and those who would be wayward and and not um would be obstinate to him this babylon the great reemerges in revelation in the tribulation and it is not good It is not good. And so this is frightening to see that we have this entanglement of a Babylonian festival with a very right and biblical look at Jesus. And so let me continue reading Zola's words here. We should look carefully at the original instructions for the third feast and understand for fully their implications. And this is directly from Leviticus twenty-three ten through 11. Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you... Be come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof. Then ye shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the priest, and he Mm -hmm. shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath the priest shall wave it. To paraphrase, God is saying to Moses, I am taking my people into an exceptionally fertile land, and I would like them to acknowledge that fact. And this is me a Thanksgiving, right? This is God establishing a thankful heart. And she continues, each spring, when the first harvest of the year is available, the people should bring some of their initial crops to the temple so that the high priest can acknowledge them before me. This must be done on the Sunday, the morrow after the Sabbath, during the week of unleavened bread. Thus, it happens so early in the Bible that God honors Resurrection Sunday, the Sunday after Passover, as representing particularly the things that come up out of the ground spontaneously and miraculously after the long dead winter. We see this miracle every spring, and we take it for granted. But which of us has to go out and do anything special to our trees or shrubberies to make them come forth with their first fruits in March and April? She goes on to say, I was once a guest on a radio talk show on the subject of UFOs and general signs of the presence of the enemy in today's world. A listener called in and said, you seem to find so many signs of the devil around. How come there are no signs of God? When I got my voice back, I was able to tell that caller a thing or two about appreciating the immense gifts we have regularly and without our efforts from our creator. Who colored the wildflowers? Who made the tropical fishes in all their variety? Who took the trouble to make the forest and the mountains of the world in such a way that the most primitive of human beings can live off the land, hunting, harvesting, and eating with confidence? Obviously, none of us have to expend any effort whatsoever to deserve these first fruits They are the free gift of God, as is our coming resurrection. Where Easter is concerned, however, we have confused a pagan ritual with first fruits. Each spring, the Babylonians saw the genuine first fruits and assumed it would be a fine time to ask their goddess, Ishtar, which is pronounced really Easter, for new babies. They worshipped the things in nature which represented fertility, such as the rabbit and the egg. The people wore new costumes in keeping with the new buds on the trees and shrubbery. Today, we continue the Babylonian Rite with our Easter bunny and our painted eggs and our new outfits for the Easter parade, an egg hunt, of course, represents the attempt to conceive a baby. The original name of the third feast, however, contains a great truth. If there are first fruits, then there must be a second, a third, and so on. And that is the true meaning of this Sunday, this resurrection Sunday. We do not merely celebrate the resurrection of the Lord on first fruits, but more so, the resurrection of the entire church. That the Lord rose from the dead is cause for great wonder and blessing. But are we really surprised? He could raise the dead himself. He could walk on water. He could feed the thousands. The greater miracle is that we, ordinary, mortal, earthly sinners, will all rise. As Paul presented so clearly, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-two and 23. Those in Adam die. Since all descendants are of sinning, original father, we've inherited his terrible tendency. But in Christ, we are made alive again. And this will happen in some given order, as the scripture tells us. Christ is the first fruits. His number was one. Obviously, the dead in Christ shall rise first. First Thessalonians four sixteen through 17 Jesus celebrated first fruits in the appropriate manner by rising from the dead on that day. He also gave the Father his proper first fruits offering. Graves were opened and dead people rose and were seen after his resurrection in Jerusalem. Matthew 27:53 Our Lord, not unlike any farmer of the soil, gratefully brought before the Father a a few early crops of what would be a magnificent harvest later on we sometimes fail to note that jesus was not only or was not the only deceased person to rise on that miraculous day of first fruits and i would beg you this is me speaking i would beg you to go back and look at that account in matthew chapter 27 towards the end of that passage it is phenomenal to open that up and read it and be like whoa whoa So back to what Zola wrote, those he brought forth from their graves represent a type of the church. We too shall be brought forth from our graves for the big fall harvest, the rapture at the Feast of Trumpets. It was not only then the Lord's resurrection that demonstrates our promise But also the resurrection of those chosen saints of the time, which assures us of our own triumph. Isn't that amazing to ponder over? And I just pray that you just have the Holy Spirit, Lord God, give us the wisdom of this teaching and understanding as we open up our Bibles and as we dutifully, responsibly, and Enthusiastically seek you to understand this truth for ourselves. Thus, clearly in his Passion Week, the Lord celebrated the f- first three feasts, each in the appropriate manner. He was crucified on Passover, answering to the blood of the Lamb, which had gotten the chosen people out of slavery to begin with. He was buried on unleavened bread, and he said, This bread is my body. A case of a dead man arranging his own burial at the appropriate time. And he was raised on first fruits as a demonstration of the future resurrection of the church. That wasn't the end of the Lord's ministry on earth, even though we assume he was inactive after that. As a matter of fact, he continued, regarding his promise to the disciples in John 14 to send the Holy Spirit. The fourth feast. Pentecost occurs 50 days after first fruits, and you can read about that in Leviticus 23, verses 15 through 16. And on that very day, the Holy Spirit attended the Pentecost festivities at the temple site like a rushing, mighty wind. Pentecost represents the summer harvest, a larger harvest than first fruits. But not so large as the fall crops and the Holy Spirit harvested 3,000 people. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. You can read about that. On the occasion when the law came, Israel had made a golden calf. And by God's direction, 3,000 were killed. Exodus thirty-two twenty-eight, And now on Pentecost... The same number were returned to the chosen people. The law or letter kills or condemns, but the Spirit gives life. She goes on to talk a little bit more about the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles, those that have yet to be fulfilled in the fall festivals, and we will get to those. I hope you're just as excited to study those as I am to rightly divide scripture and to see what God has promised for us in this day that we are seeing unfold before our eyes. It is so exciting. But as we wrestle with this text today, as we wrestle with understanding this festival, this festival of first fruits and what it means to us as the body of believers, the church today, knowing our roots and rightly dividing the traditions of men versus what God has ordained for us to see where the Messiah is has fingerprints all over it for us. So, I just want to point us to um something that just hit me really hard in the last couple of days just wrestling with this myself and um and asking the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom to teach my children and to rightly divide the lie of the enemy from the truth of what first fruits and resurrection Sunday really means to us as believers in Christ, I want you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 19. Actually, let me back us up one more chapter to chapter 18. And in 2 Kings chapter 18, if you have never read through 1st or 2nd Kings, these are the histories of the kingdoms that happened after King David passed the reigns to Solomon, and then Solomon passed the reigns to his sons, and then a split happened, and there and and Israel was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Israel. The southern kingdom was known as Judah. The northern kingdom did what was detestable in the eyes of the Lord. They never had a good king. They never repented and came back to the Lord. They worshiped other idols and other gods, and they had high places where they would sacrifice to these other gods, and they had um, other means of worshiping these false gods and false idols. And in Judah, the, the kingdom of Judah, they had some bad kings, but they also had some good kings, kings that did right in the eyes of the Lord, that held to his decrees that that obeyed his commandments, however, if you read from first kings after David and Solomon and Solomon slipped away from the ways of the Lord, um, and then kings wrestled over this in Judah all the way to second Kings chapter 18. And this is the first King that we see Hezekiah that comes in to the throne of Judah. And he, when he began reigning, he was 25 years old. So in today's time, you know, that is still a youthful age, a, a very youthful, a youthful age. And, um, He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, it tells us. And it tells us who his mother was. She was a a daughter of Zechariah. And then in verse 3, it tells us this. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his ancestor David had done. Okay, there are other kings that have this attribute listed to their name, but it really is the continuation of what King Hezekiah did in the next verses that set him miraculously apart from any of the other kings all the way back to David. And in verse four, it says this, he removed the high places Broke down the pillars and cut down the sacred pole. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He he trusted. In the Lord God of Israel, so that there was no one like him among all the kings of Judah after him or among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. The Lord was with him wherever he went. He prospered. Now, I don't know about you. But I yearn to be a a girl, a mom, a woman, a wife, um all of those things. I yearn to be um what the Lord has called me to be, but the most important thing that i I yearn for is to be a girl after God's own heart, and I hope you listening to this that that is what your heart's desire is as well. And if, and if it's not, I would offer to you that, um, that you lay it all at Jesus's feet and ask him to, to put that desire into your heart. So the difference here that we see in the reign of Hezekiah, and, and it continues to tell you, uh, that he goes on he he brings his, the whole kingdom of Judah back into right relationship with God because of his example and his absolute cleansing of everything that was not of the Lord and he saves Judah he saves Judah because he is repentant and he puts forth this example and so all of Judah follows him back to the Lord, which is a, a miracle. It's wonderful. Um, this does not happen in all of the the kings that say that they, they trusted in the Lord and that he did right in the sight of the Lord because they didn't take it the full step. They didn't go all the way and break down everything that kept them from rightly worshiping the Lord. And it always brought demise to the people and to themselves. It always brought um destruction upon them because they did not fully trust in God. They did not rightly get rid of the things in their lives that would be stumbling blocks for them. And Jesus tells us to guard our heart and guard our mind and to worship him in truth and in spirit. And so as we ponder all of, all of these things today that I've presented to you as far as, you know, uh, Ishtar, which is really pronounced Easter, this goddess, and and what all of those things truly mean to us that we have let slip into those touchy feely places, um, you know, that we celebrate with family and those manly traditions, those man made traditions. Um, I'm struggling with you, uh, and I just I pray that that the Spirit helps us to wrestle through it together and that we come to a place where we understand that the Lord's way is so much better and so much richer and so much more abundant and it brings so much more hope when we see all of the intricate details of those feasts and festivals And we look at that feast of first fruits and we are able to rightly worship the Lord and exactly all that he has done for us and the mightiness of taking sinners like us that were enemies against him before he he made us whole and new and clean and righteous upon our calling of his name, and repenting of our sin, and and striving to walk in right relationship with him. So will you do that today? We have the strength and the honor that are clothing us, and we can stand in rejoicing in the time to come. And that's from Proverbs 31.25. We are made new in Christ, and one day we will be a part of a mighty and great harvest that firstfruits tells us is to come. I'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, ladies, I would love for you to connect with me. You can do that by visiting anchor.fm forward slash for God's girls. Don't hesitate to ask questions or leave comments about things that you are learning through studying his word together.